Hey, I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Ashley. And you're listening to All Bodies, All Foods, presented by the Renfrew Center for Eating Disorders. We want to create a space for all bodies to come together authentically and purposefully to discuss various areas that impact us on a cultural and relational level. We believe that all bodies and all foods are welcome. We would love for you to join us on this journey. Let's learn together. All right. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us for our first podcast with All Bodies, All Foods. My name is Ashley Vacari, and I'm here with my partner, Sam DeCaro. Hey, Sam. Hi, Ashley. How are you? I am thrilled. I'm so happy (laughs) to be doing our first episode. I know. This is so exciting. (laughs) I know. We've waited so long to do this. Um, And I'm just so excited about our guest today. I know. So we have uh, Vanessa Minigan on today, and we're going to introduce her in a little bit. But I really wanted to um, just spend some time talking with you first, Sam, and um, just so we could kind of share with everybody why we wanted to do this podcast. Um, what it means to us, you know, we're we're titling it all bodies, all foods. Um, we really want to be able to um, reach kind of anyone and everyone that's interested in listening, learning more, um, talking about disordered eating, talking about all bodies fit, um, talking about everything in in that kind of range of stuff. Exactly. I'm I'm wondering. I'm feeling compelled to sort of introduce myself to let everyone know what I do, yeah, and, um, and what I was hoping to get out of you know what I was hoping for this podcast. So um, I'm Sam. I'm a licensed psychologist, and I'm the director of clinical outreach and education at Renfrew. Um, and I actually started as a therapist ten years ago at our residential site, and so you know one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast was because honestly, I wanted to figure out a way to reach more people mm-hmm. to talk about eating disorders. There's so many misconceptions um, out there. There's so many myths. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt like this could be a way to reach a lot of people, to spread awareness, spread education, talk about research, talk about, you know, and then bring in the experts yeah. Yeah. and um, and talk about all the things that are relevant right now, social media and um the diet industry and 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 all of that, um, and so to me, yeah. I mean, this is just a really meaningful yeah. project. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, Ashley, maybe you can talk about you know your role at Renfrew and yeah, and- I couldn't agree more with you, Sam. So. Again, my name is Ashley. I'm a licensed professional counselor, and I started at Renfrew five years ago, also as a therapist at our Nashville, Tennessee location, and um, just absolutely love the work that we do. And I am currently um, a professional relations manager with us. And so I, Sam, where you worked a lot with our um, clients, you know, now I work a lot with our professionals in the community. And so, um, do a lot of outreach, do a lot of teaching. I know you do that too, Sam. So, um, I really had a heart to reach professionals, um, people that wanted to learn more about eating disorder world, 
disordered eating, body image work, really just to help expand their knowledge um, as they work to treat their clients, you know? Exactly. Um, And so I think when we realized that we both kind of had this dream and this vision, um, it it was exciting to me that we could really make this work. Totally. (laughs) And well, and fun fact, well, you know this, Ashley, but you know, I run Renfrew's TikTok account. Oh, yes. But there, yes, there's only do. so much awareness you can do in like a 30 second video. Yes, that's and I'm true. I'm thinking, we need more time to talk about eating <laughs> yeah. disorders. And, and there's such an interest, you know, even with the small videos that I'll put out, yeah. I can see that people really want to know more, yeah. uh, especially about the lesser known eating disorders and how eating disorders can affect people across so many different domains of their lives Um, and how to help, how to support people. Like everyone sort of knows someone who, who struggles, whether with eating or their body image and, you know, really learning about the tools. It's like, how can I actually support the people in my life in a way that's helpful and not, you know, triggering or, you know, or not in a way that, that will make them feel worse. So that was, that was another piece of this is, um, just having the venue to, to, to talk for a longer stretch of time about yes. this important yeah. stuff. So to our listeners, that is, that's our heart. Like that's why we're wanting to do this. We're wanting to connect with our community. We're wanting to um, be involved with you all. And so definitely um, hit us up if you have, you know, topics you want to hear about, or um, if you're interested in, you know, talking on the show, let us know. Um, we would love to connect with you all. So, so again, thank you for having us. Thank you for listening to our show. And um, I would love to introduce our guest today. Um, we have with us Vanessa Minigan. She is the Chief Marketing and Admissions Officer at the Renfrew Center. She is also daughter to Sam Minigan, the founder and president of the Renfrew Center. Um, so Vanessa, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, we're so happy that you're here. Um, so I'm curious if you could just start off and tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you became in your role at the Renfrew Center. As you mentioned, my father, Sam Menegat, is the founder of Renfrew. And so I grew up in this family business. Renfrew has been a part of my life Uh, from the beginning. And I have distinct memories growing up of people coming up to my father when they heard that he founded Renfrew and sharing their stories, sharing the stories of their loved ones. Um, When people would hear what my father did, people would start telling me stories of people they knew or or themselves. And it was very impactful. I have very early childhood memories of that. And I, I didn't even understand when it when he first started Renfrew what it was. I just knew it was this yeah. place where I saw a lot of women there and people always were very thankful for it. And then as I grew up yeah. and got older, I started to actually understand what was happening and what he was doing. Um, and I've always been incredibly proud of it. Yeah. So growing yeah. up, I, I also spent a lot of time here. I spent, if I had summers, if I had days off from school, I was always on the campus. Um, I would be spending time shredding, filing, answer phones, whatever they needed, um, running around on the campus. And so it's, it's really been a part of my life. And so I have, you know, I, I, my earliest memories are involved Renfrew. You grew up here. You really I grew up. I mean, we opened in, I mean, Renfrew opened in 1985. 
Right. Yeah, here we right. are in 2022. I mean, how old were you, Vanessa? I mean, if you don't mind me asking, how old were you? <laughs> I mean, it's like your dad's opening this site, treating eating disorders. I mean, back then it was like no one really knew what an eating disorder was. Right. And the way treatment was back in 1985, you go to a hospital and yeah. you basically, they feed you and monitor you 24-7 and then you leave the hospital and go home. I mean, really like no psychological treatment back then. It was really a, a medical approach strictly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. yeah. What, so I'm just wondering like how old were you and what what did you know about eating disorders? Because I'm sure so many of our listeners can relate to maybe just like not really understanding what your dad was trying to do. Yeah. yeah. So when he started, I was four. So I, oh, wow. I yeah. actually, before it opened, we would come here and go sledding. And it was just oh. this property that we had because it was being built for about two years. So there's pictures of me, you know, when I was three walking around in front of the scaffolding and things like that. So when oh. it started, I really had no idea what, what was going on. Um, and mm. I just knew it was this he worked on this great magical campus and I would come in and there were horses here and I'd go feed the horses and I would um, get to take my art books and go draw on this campus. I, I mean, I really had had no idea in the early days what was going on. Right. Um, and it wasn't until I started getting older that I, st- I started to understand. I would ask more questions. I would wonder what was going on, um, you know, and then that's when I started to learn more about it. But um, yeah, yeah. In, the, in the early days, I mean, in that time when we opened in 1985, this was the first residential eating sort of facility in the country. At that right. point, what you said is true, Sam. It was, you either were in the hospital or you were an outpatient with a therapist. There was nothing mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when exactly. you went to the hospital, it was mostly just a feeding tube or something like that. And then you got sent home. So it was, what he started was, you know, completely different, completely outside the box, not yeah. something that had been done before. Um, but he saw a need and he knew that this was something that really needed to happen. And, and that was why he went ahead and did it. Right. That is so I mean, wonderful. Amazing. I wish I actually I wish we had some old pictures of you, Vanessa, sledding. We could hang them <laughs> around the building. I love that image, especially because this the campus. I don't know if, you know, any of our listeners out there have seen it, but you know, I worked at the campus, the Spring Lane Philadelphia campus for many years. And I mean, it's just it's majestic. I mean, really, that's mm-hmm. one of the only ways I can describe it. And and every season is like a different utopia. There's like the winter wonderland, yeah. you know, um, it, beautiful scenery with the snow and the deer. And then, you know, in the spring, all the flowers bloom. And it's just, I mean, there's something just so therapeutic about just being in the, on, on the space, on the campus. And as a four-year-old, yeah. I just picture you <laughs> just having so much fun just being on campus. Absolutely. Yeah. There are pictures all over our house of those early days of our family in front of the buildings. Oh. And um, yeah, it's it definitely oh. a very different time, but it is, it's pretty incredible to now work in the exact, that exact place, you know, that I yeah. was here when I was little and it kind of is a fir- full circle moment to be now working here and um, in these places as, as an employee. Yeah, absolutely. Vanessa, I'm curious what, you know, having been really on this campus your whole life, what you know, growing up and kind of having your own lived experiences, what does this work mean to you now? Um, maybe how has that how has that shaped you? And and yeah, why do you do the work that you do now? 
you know, I've always been really proud of what we did, what we do mm-hmm. here. And I think that in the back of my mind, I've always thought about coming to work here because I felt like it was such important work. And there were so many people in my life who would let me know that they also were struggling. So I, yeah. people in high school, people in college, when um, yeah. whenever people knew what I did or what my father did, um, yeah. they would take me to the side and share these stories with me. And so I've been very aware of this growing up. Um, he was very aware of it raising us. You know, he we didn't have scales in the house and we couldn't have, yeah. he was very careful of what kind of magazines we, were, we had and things like that. Yeah. So it was very different than I think other people's childhood because he was very aware. He saw some of the things that happened and wanted to make sure that we didn't grow up thinking about that. So we were, it was very much raised that way where we were not thinking about food in that way. And so um, it definitely had an influence. And I think that he raised, I'm one of four kids, there's three daughters in our family and we've all, um, we're raised very aware of, of the, of what can happen and, and making sure that we were um, aware of that as we grew up. And so, um, yeah, I've always been proud of the mission. I didn't know if I would actually come into the business. My father actually had a rule for all four kids that none of us could go straight into the business after we graduated from college. He didn't want us to end up here because we felt like we had to, or we didn't know what we wanted to do sure. with our lives. He wanted to make sure we truly cared about the mission. And so mm-hmm. he never expected any of us to actually join, but I have always had a love for what Renfrew does. And yeah. I've always felt really connected to it. I felt like it's really important. It's unique. And as I, I graduated college, I ended up working in politics and, and having a career on Capitol Hill. And yeah. I would hear about what, what was going on in the business. And I was always calling my father and talking to him about what he was thinking. And he started talking to me about the legacy and, and what was the next step. And there were a lot of people approaching him trying to buy the company. And he yeah. didn't want to sell, but he also didn't want, he wanted to make sure there was a future. And so I told him one time, I, I want to come back to Philadelphia. I want to work with you. I don't want to sell this. And so he was thrilled, beyond thrilled. I mean, he yeah. always hoped that someone in the in the family would come back, um, but he never expected it. And so I moved back to Philadelphia and joined and it's been more than 15 years now. And it's it's been an incredible experience and definitely was an, a great decision that, to come back here. Wow. That's amazing. I didn't realize that, you know, he really wanted to wait and see who in the family might be yeah. passionate about this work. And, yeah. and I really love this idea of bringing in all of these therapeutic concepts into your home where you're a little girl and, you know, your dad is bringing in all of these concepts that really we, we use with our patients, you know, you know, what magazines um, are, are people looking at? What are the TV shows, scales? And these are the same recommendations we give to families, you know, and, and it's so cool that he, he just incorporated that so early on. I mean, back in the eighties when like no one even yeah. knew what, <laughs> what the heck is an eating disorder? No mm-hmm. one really understood it. And your dad's bringing in all these like therapeutic concepts. Um, that's amazing. And, he, and you, know, you know, before he started Run For, he actually didn't know what an eating disorder was either. So he yeah. ended up ha- getting the idea from one of his friends. He was looking for a a business development idea. He had been working at, he was a healthcare attorney and working at a psych hospital. And his friend was treating patients with eating disorders up in Boston and said, you should start an eating disorder facility. And my father said, what's an eating disorder? I mean, this was in 1982. He had never heard of it. He didn't know what it was. It was not spoken about. And he started doing research and meeting patients all over the country. And he met professionals and he realized there was this whole, this need and nobody was out there treating these patients 
except for hospitals and outpatient. There was absolutely nothing else. And he knew there was a better way. But when he was trying to get Renfrew started, he really had, it was a tough challenge because nobody had heard of eating disorders. So he had to try to convince the banks and he tried, had to buy the property and zoning boards and convince insurance companies to reimburse and all these different things. And, and nobody had heard of it. And so it wasn't even just convincing right. them to, to um, support Renfrew. It was supporting the eating disorder field and people had not heard of it. So it, it really was yeah. a completely different time. It can be hard to think back to those times because it's changed so much over the years. But in those days, nobody knew what it was. And it was right. really a, a challenge to get all of those things to come together. Right. Yeah, to try so- to convince people to fund it and yeah. and to come work with him. And he, he it was so cutting edge and he managed mm-hmm. to do that, mm-hmm. which is really incredible, which, which sort of brings me to my next question that I wanted to ask. Um, I was wondering, Vanessa, if you could say a little bit more about the ways Renfrew has changed and grown over the years. And, and also I think the ways it stayed the same. I, I think, you know, one of the most interesting things about Renfrew when I when I learned about the history is, you know, back in 1985 when, I mean, you think about binge eating disorder wasn't even in the DSM until right, right. relatively recently. Yeah. And and what I've learned is that we have been treating binge eating disorder mm-hmm. even back in the 80s when there wasn't even really a name for it, which is incredible. So it's um I just feel like we've we've sort of always been cutting edge, and I'm just wondering from your perspective, how do you think you know Renfrew has grown? Yeah, so I think what you're saying is so true. I think in so many ways we have grown, and then in so many ways we've stayed the same. So yeah, when yeah. we started, uh, you know, we opened the doors and we wanted to create this healing community of of patients who came in. And we weren't sure who was going to show up. You know, my father really did not know who would be here. And we were, people were more aware of anorexia because Karen Carpenter, who had been a very famous singer-songwriter, right. had passed away. And it was really the right. first time that it got out there. And so people were more familiar with anorexia. They were even just starting to know what bulimia was. That was really mm-hmm. the beginning of um when the, the term was coined. And so, um, but when the patients started coming in, they had all of the disorders that we're seeing today. And so, yes, mm-hmm. Renfrew started treating all of those. And we also started seeing all ages. There was this misconception that it was only Caucasian adolescent women who had it, right. adolescent girls. And that was not the case. Some of the earliest mm-hmm. patients who came in were in their fifties. And so mm-hmm. I think very early on, uh, at Renfrew, they, we started to see that it was not the the patient that was the stereotype that people thought had an eating disorder. It, it impacted so many other communities, and it was a much more diverse community. And so that has been from the beginning. I think that what has changed over the years certainly is is the way that we have done treatment. Uh, we yeah. we've always been based on community. We've always felt like people heal through relationships, and the relational connection is really important. Um, but at the time, there was no research into eating disorders. So really, our yeah. professionals were doing their best to figure out the best way to treat the patient. And um, and we adapted over time. And then over the years, we started to be able to do research. We started to look into different evidence-based theories. And that's when we were really able to start to develop the treatment models that we now have today, the, the unified treatment model and that was based off of previous research we had and what was going on in the field. And that was certainly not around when we started. So that has changed. But I still think the core element of Renfrew has stayed the same. It is about community. It is about 
um, empowering patients to, to change their lives. It is uh, a multidisciplinary team. It was set up that way so that it wasn't mm-hmm. one person making all the decisions for the patient. It's really every discipline is just as important as every other one. And the patient is, and what they feel is just as important as well and really working collaboratively. So the core of that piece and healing through nature and, and all of that has really remained the same. And I, I'm really proud of that. Uh, yeah. But we have absolutely been able to improve and add and um, and be able to add specialized programming and treat more diverse clients. And um, I think there's been a lot of improvements we've also been able to make over the years. Absolutely. Yeah. It, you know, we'll have an episode on the treatment model with Melanie Smith yes. for our listeners. And yeah. she, I mean, she's amazing. She's the training director. And, and she... Um, and on that episode, we'll go into detail about what, how do you even treat an eating disorder and how do you right. treat all the other, you know, other issues that we so frequently see with eating disorders. But I just wanted to mention quickly, you know, part of my role at Renfrew is also, uh, I'm a representative for the alums, you know, yeah. so, and, and particularly the alums who have been in residential and, and invariably what I hear from them. I mean, these, these are folks who have been in recovery, some for like 20 years, yes. you know, or maybe yes. some for only a few years. But the common thread I hear is that one of, one of the biggest reasons why they felt like they could recover successfully were the connections that they made with the other patients mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and some of whom they're still in touch with. And they still text when they're struggling or, you know, they invite them to their weddings. And I mean, these are like lifelong friends Mm -hmm. and it it doesn't even matter if if I'm talking to an alum who was back, you know, in treatment in the nineties and someone who just discharged, it's, it's the same story that I healed because I met other people who were going through the same thing and other people who get it. Yeah. And that in and of itself is so healing um, just to have that community. I think many times with eating disorders, folks, I hear, you know, in, in, you know, when they're contemplating treatment, it's like, I should be able to do this alone. I can do this alone. I can do this at home. And then what they find out is that it's actually the connections, not only with their treatment team, but with, with the other residents that, that really helps. I like to tell people, I so when I came to the Renfrew Center, I'd been licensed um, in the state of Tennessee for a while, and I fell in love with the unified treatment model. I mean, that was really, and that's the the theory that we practice, the theory that we um, treat our clients with, and but that level of community and relational um, building and learning how to exist as myself, but also learning how to exist as myself among other people, um, I just think is so critical to somebody's growth um, and to somebody's health. And so that aspect, I just think is wonderful. I love that about our treatment model. Um, Vanessa, I'm also curious, is there is there um, something unique you want to share about the Renfrew Center? Like what sets the Renfrew Center apart? I mean, I know we're talking about um, the relationship, the community, the unified treatment model. Um, those are all definitely unique to us. But um, what what else would you like to share with us about the Renfrew Center? Sure. There, there is so much. I'm <laughs> obviously very proud of the fact that we've remained a family business. This has uh, been yes. something that has been a challenge to do for since 1985 to stay privately owned. And I think because we are privately owned, there's a lot of advantages to that. We're yeah. able, to, we don't have a, 
large bureaucracy here. There isn't this big system that people have to go through. We're able to adapt really quickly. And we were able to do that when the pandemic happened and we had to switch to virtual. We were able to do that that really quickly. Um, you know, when, when employees have new ideas, like you both had this idea for this wonderful podcast, we're able to move forward with it, you know, and I think that's, uh, it's a nice spirit to it. Um, being family owned, I'm really proud of the clinical care that we provide at the end of the day. That is the most important thing. And, um, we really make all of our decisions based off of that. And we're able to, um, fund research and training and all of these departments because we really value it. And that's something that is is really important to us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the fact that we have so many staff who have worked here for so long, the longevity is is really incredible and unique. And um, especially in, in this day and age where people are often, you know, moving around to different places. If you look at our leadership teams, if you look at the people who have been been with us. Um, there's a lot of opportunity for advancement, which both of you have seen. And um, I'm, I'm really proud of that, that we have so many of our employees that have been here from the early days and have been part of us evolving and adapting, but we continue to stay part of this Renfrew family. And so I think that's something that's unique and that, that sets us apart. Um, and I'm I'm really proud that we have stayed the same as we grow, as we add facilities or we add mm-hmm. um, other things. It's, it's standardized. You know, we are not going out there and just buying other places and then just putting our name on it. If it says Renfrew, it's Renfrew. It is that we have right. started it from the ground up. We've trained the staff. You, you have the same philosophy of treatment. We have the same um, meals, all of that. It's really important that if our name is on it, that it represents us and, and we take yeah. pride in in the name that we have built and and plan to continue to do that. So I I think that is unique, but something we're very committed to that if you see Renfrew on the door, it means that it is the Renfrew Center. It means that you are going to find a healing community of patients with the best clinicians to really be able Mm -hmm. to help uh, heal. Yeah. Yeah, with with the same approach, the same language. I think that's so important when, you know, yeah. someone's program is especially if they're programming at a higher level of care like residential and then they maybe step down to a day treatment program. They know that there's going to be that familiar treatment model, that familiar approach. Yeah. And it's all the, and using all the same language. Mm-hmm. Um, which just, I think really helps with the transition because it can be scary leaving, you know, sort of like the bubble of residential and, and then, you know, stepping back down maybe to your hometown and going to a day treatment center or an intensive mm-hmm. outpatient program. Um, I think that's and, something that's really cool about yeah. Renfrew. And just to add on that, we're across the country. We have 19 locations across the country. And now, really, with the work that we've been doing over the last couple of years, we were kind of already setting this in place, but we have virtual options for pretty much anyone across the country. Um, So that is a really incredible thing that we're offering now, too, um, to reach any of those clients that kind of are in areas that things don't exist, you know, um, right. we definitely have that reach now, which is awesome. Totally. Yeah, it's been incredible with telehealth to see how we've been able to get into these communities where people have been isolated. They may not know anyone who has an eating disorder. They're really feeling alone and they're now able to connect with all of these yeah. peers virtually. It's, it's, been a wonderful thing that has happened. And um, it's something, as you said, we always wanted to do, but the pandemic really allowed it to happen. And it's something that is here to stay and something we're really committed to because we are, yeah. we're not going to be able to open in every single city everywhere, but there's people with eating disorders everywhere. And so we really want to have as much access to care as possible. 
and there are people who are limited by by that. And so it's been so nice to have them join our programs and to be able to join the the community and to feel like they're supported. And they they instantly build this community virtually, and it's it's been pretty incredible. Yes. Well, yeah. and another thing that that reminds me of is, and when we're talking about accessibility. You know, yeah. as part of being the alumni rep, the alumni representative um, for Renfrew, what yeah. I love is that once you leave Renfrew, you have access to all of these free alum services. Yeah. I mean, monthly I run a support group for any yeah. patient who has ever been in residential treatment, whether it was like back in the eighties or they just got out. And and I and we have we have you know attendees from all over the country who can come together for free and and have a support group. And I just, I think it's so cool to be able to access those kind of things when even after you leave, it's like the healing continues, you know, with free webinars and and free um, reunions every year. Mm -hmm. It's just such a, such a cool thing to see everyone come back together um, for more. Um, yeah, one of my favorite days has always been the reunion, seeing everybody come back yeah. and yes. people come in from all over. And we've had people travel from Canada and, you know, come in and they've brought their family yeah. members and they really connect and they've um, made lifelong friends, certainly. Yeah. And they're all yeah. together and getting to see that and getting to see them come back and um, come back to the place where it all happened or it all started and to see that community. It's it's such a, a wonderful reminder of why we do what we do. And so exactly. seeing that is just, it's it's exactly exactly what you need to see to keep going and to keep, um, you know, there's some ch- obviously some challenges and we continue to have to push with insurance and all these other things that we deal with. Mm-hmm. But when you see the alumni and you see them come back and see the success, that's, that's what makes it all worth it at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and also I'm, I'm so, I, I always talk about accessibility and, and how important it is. Yeah. And there's so many challenges around it. And one of the things that we do each year you know, we try to train other professionals so that they can go out and do eating disorder work. And one of the ways that we do that in a big way is the Renfrew Conference. Um, And we've been doing that for over 30 years now, um, where literally thousands and thousands of providers have been trained through the Renfrew Conference. And I have gone to the Renfrew Conference since working here, obviously. I presented at the (laughs) Renfrew Conference, but, uh, you know, we have these keynote speakers yeah. And I'm always amazed at the level of um, expertise and really celebrity that we really get at the Renfrew Conference. I saw Gloria Steinem speak, yes. Monica Lewinsky, um, yes. Patrick Kennedy, just all these advocates in the field and people with their own stories about mental health and healing. And And I was just really curious, Vanessa, because, I mean, you've been – at the Renfrew Conference. I mean, how many Renfrew Conferences have you been to now? So I was going to them before I even worked here. And I started I know, years ago. But I used to, when I was in college, I would come in and take the train in and um, and come to them. So I, I couldn't even count. Definitely more than 20, but probably oh, 25. Wow. Yeah, That's easily. amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. Um, yeah. I was actually wondering, you know, who out of the keynotes – uh, who to you has been the most fascinating to me um, and and why? And maybe, you know, what, what surprises you each year at the conference? I'm just so curious because you've seen so many of these keynotes. I've seen a, I've seen a handful and every year these keynotes just stick with me. It's mm-hmm. just these amazing stories about resilience and healing and 
I was just curious what, what stood out to you. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to pick. We've had so many incredible keynotes over the years. Um, One of the people who definitely stands out to me is Gloria Steinem because we have had her now three times. And the first time I I met her, um, I was a lot younger. And um, I just remember I got to have time just to sit down one-on-one and talk to her. And she was talking to me about my life and what I was thinking of doing and things like that. And she was so supportive and so down to earth. And, um, And then when she came back, uh, the next time I, I met with her and I said, I'm now here at Renfrew and she's really excited and she loved the idea that I was working here. And um, it's, I just personally, it's been really wonderful getting to see her over the years. And um, she's an incredible speaker, but also just really such a, a great person behind the scenes. And really, yeah. um, you know, when you meet people who you've seen on TV, you hope that they're going to be as great as they are. And I think that's one of those things that stood out to me. And I would say that about our yeah. keynotes in general, you know, they're they're people that you see on TV and they're, um, may seem larger than life, but when you actually meet them, I've, I've been fortunate enough to, to meet with them one-on-one and often have lunch with them before they speak. And they really are just very normal down to earth people. And what has yeah. always surprised me is how impressed they are with us and the work that we do. So they are yeah. really appreciated. Um, they understand that it's really difficult work that the clinicians who are attending the conference do every day. And so they they feel very honored to be able to talk to all the professionals and to um, give them hope and to, to sort of give them this renewed energy that people leave the conference with, whether it's in person or virtually. I think people leave our conference feeling really excited. And, um, and our keynotes are really aware of what we do. They're aware of eating disorders, whether they personally mm-hmm. have, have struggled with it or someone in their lives. You know, eating disorders impacts everybody. And so every time that we've had keynotes come in, they've talked about how it's, how it's impacted their lives in one way or the other. And they're just so grateful for the work that we're doing and that the whole field is doing, trying to help with all of these patients. Right. I think it's a testament too to right, like the fact that we Renfrew has been around since '85, and really the the what you spoke to earlier, Vanessa, the advocacy work that our company has been able to do um, across you know borders, across insurance world, across just kind of like getting it out there to the world what an eating disorder even is, educating the masses, um, and then you know, letting them know how we can also help the clients and stuff too. I mean, I think it's a testament to that, that we even get these incredible keynotes. And I have to say, I was starstruck last year with Gabourey Sidibe. I was so excited that she was here and that she even, like, it was such an honor even to hear her story and just have her share, you know, with us, but with all of the professionals, anybody that was listening. And, um, and I think you're right. It, the conference every year, I leave excited and like ready, you know, kind of on fire, (laughs) ready to do this work. Yeah. And I think all the things you touched on is the work that our foundation does, the Renfrew Center Foundation. And my father started it in 1990. So in the early days, um, and the way that he started it was because we realized very early on after a few years that we had treated more patients with eating disorders than really anybody else. And so there was a lot to learn. And we had professionals asking, can you teach us what you've learned? And so people would fly in from all over the country and they would crowd into our living room here in Philadelphia and they would cram into the room and we would do these trainings. And then we started to outgrow the space. And that was when he decided to start this foundation and start the conference. And so um, the first, he started the foundation in 1990 with the goal of prevention and education and advocacy. And then he also started the conference. And that's when it started in 1991. And it really came out of this 
need to train professionals and we did not have the space. And so we decided yeah. to go off site and start the conference. And um, but I think that's been a really important piece of it, because in addition to the, the business side of it, yeah. it's really raising awareness about it. We are in yeah. a unique position. People know us and, and we have a voice and the media come to us for interviews. And, you know, we have this opportunity to get out there and really train and educate, raise awareness, raise money for scholarships, you know, all of this important work and advocacy. Um, my father was one of the founders of the Eating Disorder Coalition and he's been yeah. the president and he, you know, goes to Washington, D.C. regularly to lobby and also yeah. on the state level for legislation, um, helped with mental health parity, all of these important things that really are so important that um, we have to have the legislation and the support from Washington to be able to do what we're doing and to help. Um, it really makes an impact on all of these patients around the country. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. It's it's necessary to be doing that work at yeah. a legislative level. Yeah. Um, it's part of the work, really. Um, and it's just, it's so cool. I've been a part of that. Actually, I, I did, um, your dad sent me to go lobby on Capitol Hill, which was just an amazing <gasps> yeah. experience. Yeah, it was amazing. I was telling That's Vanessa cool. about it um, afterwards. But yeah, it's just, it's, it's part of the work. And if you're not doing that part, um, yeah. It's you're missing a big piece, I think. Yeah, yeah. I would encourage anyone listening who who wants to get involved. You know, I think that so many times people wonder how they can get started or what they can do. And if, you know, looking at what the Eating Disorder Coalition is doing, they have lobby days. You can do it virtually, so you don't even have to travel now. Um, and yeah. you get to meet with your representatives and talk about it. And there's so many important pieces of legislation going before Congress that really mm -hmm. do make a difference in the day-to-day -day mm -hmm. lives of, of patients. Mental health parity was, is really w one of the most important, but there, there are others going on right now. So I would encourage anybody who wants to get involved, they will train you. You don't have to have experience, but it's a really yeah. nice way to help the field and to feel like you're really making a difference. Yeah. Absolutely. Or even sending an email, um, yeah. signing petitions, I mean, there or calling your representatives. There's so many ways to get involved if mm -hmm. you know, you're not able to travel. Um, but it, it is, it's so crucial that, that mm -hmm. we're, we're combating that on that level. Yeah. And having worked on Capitol Hill before this, I, I, was always following all of the pieces of legislation and things that the eating disorder field was doing. And it's been really nice yeah. to now come on this side and be able to help. But I can say that the the offices do look at how many emails come in and what people, their constituents think about issues. That's absolutely mm -hmm. crucial. And so even though it might just feel like a form letter, it might just feel like you're making a phone call, they are looking at that. And so it really does make a difference. And so if you get involved and you actually do reach out, all of that matters and, and starts to make a difference. Vanessa, I'm wondering for our listeners, would you be able to talk a little bit about mental health parity and what, what that means? Sure. So when Renfrew started, there was no coverage for mental health for eating disorders. And so my father was able to get a specific contract to cover residential eating disorders. However, what happened over the years is that people would have their plans, their insurance plans, and they would have all of these medical benefits. And then they would have almost nothing on the mental health side. Sometimes nothing, yeah. sometimes very little. And so what all of these different mental health organizations, the eating disorder field, but also drug and alcohol, all of these other uh, places joined together to try to get mental health parity, which says that if you have an insurance plan, whatever coverage you have on the medical side, you have to have on the mental health side. So it, yeah. they can't have a plan that is just covering medical without mental health benefits. Mm -hmm. And so that is, you know, 
was a huge win. And yes. being able to yes. um, to say that the plans had to be set up that way. There are a few exceptions, but for the most part, if you have a plan and you look at what you have on your medical side, you will have the same coverage on the mental health side. And so um, that that really made it a, a big difference. There were a lot of lawsuits that had to to then happen to enforce it. And, you know, there are still some loopholes, mm-hmm. but um, before that you would just see people just didn't have coverage. And so, um, and we know that most people who are struggling with an eating disorder, they need insurance coverage to be able to afford treatment. Almost nobody can afford yes. it privately. And so, yeah. um, and that was something that my father's really committed to from the early days was insurance. He did not want this to be a facility where only people who are very wealthy could, could access care. He just he did not want that. And so he made a point from the time he opened to go for insurance contracts. And, um, but there have been lots of changes in the field over the years in the insurance world. So having legislation like mental health parity has really been um, so crucial to be able to continue the work, not just that we do, but everybody who's struggling with mental health and needs any kind of access to care, this now ensures that they have that, that coverage. That's absolutely incredible that we could be a part of that, you know, um, and help that for really generations to come, help our clients for generations to come. Absolutely. Yeah. So changing gears a little bit, Vanessa, I'm just curious. Um, you know, we talked, Sam and I talked a little bit about why we wanted to start the podcast and just, um, really just extending the reach, really just kind of, um, making our community broader and bigger. Um, but I'm just curious what you thought about the idea of the podcast and, and us getting out there. <laughs> I, I love the idea. I think one of the things that we have tried to do from the beginning with Run True is to try to reach as many people as possible yeah. and to share the message of hope that with treatment you can recover. And so anytime we can get in front of new people or or get in front of people in a different way. It's great. And mm-hmm. podcast people love podcasts. People are always listening to them there. Um, and so I think it was a wonderful idea. I, I think about all of the different things that you can do with this and the ways that we can reach, uh, reach people. And I, I think you're both the perfect people to co-host it. And I'm, I'm excited to see what you do with it. Well, we're, we are so excited to get it out. You know, we, um, we have some great people lined up, um, that we're doing some interviews with and, and again, just really excited to be with the community, you know, with this. Um, so thinking about that, we have, um, hopefully we have, um, past clients, we've got future clients, we've got the community members, we have professionals listening to the podcast. Is there anything that you would like to just kind of leave our listeners with today, Vanessa? Um, well, thank you for having me. This has been wonderful. I I would say to start, you know, knowing that there are many patient, current patients and former patients who are listening, I would like to thank them for allowing us to be part of their recovery journey. Yeah. At the end of the day, everything that we do is about the patients and about their their care, and um, for them to trust us and to allow us to be part of that is is really an honor. Um, and to all of the professionals who are listening, um, for them to also trust us with their patients and to allow us to be part of that journey and to collaborate with yeah. us, um, we just have the most wonderful professional community out there, which is really an extension of of what we do. And um, you know, I, I'm really appreciative of that, and I just want to. Let everyone know that we Renfrew is going to continue to be the uh, we we aim to be the leaders in the field to really continue to be trailblazers to try to help the field to continue the legacy that my father has built. I'm I'm very committed to that, 
And, yeah. um, you know, we are, we're excited about what's to come. We have a lot of great plans for the future and, um, we know now more than ever people need, need treatment and need the support and need the help. And so we are here and we are really committed to that and to continuing to grow and, and evolve in the future. But, um, I just want to thank everybody for listening today. Yeah. Thank you so much, Vanessa. This was so fun to learn yeah. all about the history and and your experience with Renfrew. I really appreciate you coming on and a big thank you to our audience listening yes. in. I hope that you join us for future episodes. See you yeah. next time. Thank you for listening with us today on All Bodies, All Foods, presented by the Renfrew Center for Eating Disorders. We're looking forward to you joining us next time as we continue these conversations.